0: Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. Luke 24. We're continuing to see the people, the places, the events that tie into our Savior. Our goal is to understand these things. We divided our study, if you can remember, into four big parts. The end of the Old Testament, between the Testaments, the beginning of the New Testament, and now we move to the end times. There's so much information there. This is, uh, even though the study's got a lot of information, so you can just take it and and use it for resources. We're talking about end times. This is the last section of our study, these last. Two lessons. As we think about that, people love to talk about end times. They like to talk about it's exciting. But when we think about it, there's really two big things we're going to look at. We're going to look at what happens on this earth, and then the new heavens and the new earth. So there's some great things we'll see in the in the this week and next week. In fact, in this lesson thirteen, we're going to see Jesus, the resurrection, his commission, his ascension, and his coming in the clouds. Then the last lesson, which will be next week, we'll see Jesus in his second coming to the earth, the ruling as the king, and the eternal state. So there's a lot of really good things we're going to see <clears throat> in the next couple of weeks. Well, the key for Christianity is the death and resurrection of Christ. In fact, he's the son of God who died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. We call that the gospel. But there's something that I, I, I grew up, When I say grew up, I didn't trust Christ until I was 19. But as I started growing as a Christian, people would say things like, you know, know, Jesus died on the cross. And I thought that that was it. And then I realized that wasn't the message. It wasn't that Jesus died on the cross. It was Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. And when you think about it, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ did not rise from the dead... You're of more people to be most pitied. We're still in our sins. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says this. It declares Jesus is declared to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the resurrection, and we're going to talk about his ascension and all those kind of things. A lot of people don't think about that. Sometimes we say he came to the earth, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he walked on the earth, and he ascended into heaven. Sometimes we don't think about that. So we're talking about end times. And I have people say, do you think we're in the end times? Let me ask you a question. Do you think we're in the end times? Why? Well, because the truth is this. Hebrews 1 tells us that the last days, the end times, begin at the death of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I don't know if water will help or not, but <clears throat> we can sure try it. Thank you so much. <clears throat> it's just the stuff won't go away, so just bear with me. If you can bear with me, I can do it if, you, if it's okay with y'all. It's just going to be really gross and everything. Okay, so Hebrews 1 tells us the last days begin at the death of Jesus Christ. So people say, you think we're in the last days? I go, oh, yeah. We've been in the last days 2,000 years because that's really the end thing. That's the thing that the Bible was looking forward to. And from this point on, we're in the last days. The end times begins with the death and resurrection of Christ, Hebrews chapter 1. So we're looking, We last time we saw the victory in the cross. I love that. That was, a. I thought, a lot of good information. This lesson we're going to focus on resurrection, the church, those kind of things. So here's, here's what we're going to be looking at. These are the, the five things. Uh, as if you want, I think you're at the top of what, page two, five sections of what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to see the resurrection, the teaching and commission, the ascension and present ministry, the church, which is the mission, and the return of Christ. Now, if you notice that one lesson we're going to get off at. Because, I mean, this is like the history. This is the putting together Jesus in His world. So we can't go into all the details on everything. But I just want you to see how this fits together. So the resurrection, the teaching, uh, commission, and all that. So good things. Let's start with, yeah, I want to give, you can write those down, but we're going to be going through them as we, as we go through it. Here's the first one, and that is the resurrection. The resurrection. The great truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. You notice when I do this, <clears throat> I always do this. And sometimes people say, what's that for? I say, well, this is the death of the cross. This is the resurrection. Because when you think of the gospel message, what is it? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the key. And and so you, you need to get, if you don't do it now, get in the habit of saying death and resurrection. When people say, what did Jesus do? Don't just say Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin. Say he died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. That's it. Listen, let me ask you a question. Did he pay for the sin of every human being? Did he conquer death for every human being? Yes. See, that's why it's for every human being, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We saw the great truth that he died on the cross. He said, it is finished. They took him on the cross. They put him in the tomb. He's promised that after three days he would rise again. He said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Let me ask you something. If Jesus was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, what day did he die on? That can't be Friday. Yeah. It's probably a Wednesday. And sometime, sometime if we ever have time, I will put up a chart for you to show you when Jesus died, what day he died on, doing, using the Jewish days. The Jewish day begins at night. Even in the morning, first day, so I can show you that Well, I've done this before, I think and put the chart up, but Jesus most likely died on a Wednesday, actually, Tuesday night is when they had the Passover meal. He was on the cross on Wednesday morning, and there was death and there was three days and three nights, and then he rose from the grave any time, what would be our Saturday night after after dark because that became Sunday morning, by the way. Jewish calendar. So, it, there's some great truths when you start looking at this. So, Jesus died and rose again. So, let's look at Luke 24, and let's look at what we see here. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice it says, now on the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week? Uh, Sunday's the first day of the week, right? You should work six days and rest on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath day is what day? Saturday. Saturday. Isn't it amazing how many people think Sabbath day Sunday? You remember the great the movie about... Uh, uh, the my, my mind's blank, the runner, the guy from uh, Scotland, what the what is what was it? Uh, what was the movie about the runner from Scotland that wouldn't run? Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire. Okay. Uh, Steve, uh, Eric Little. He was one of the great Christians, but he thought the Sabbath day was Sunday. And so when his race was put up on Sunday, he wouldn't run. So he ended up running the 400 meters instead of the 100 meters, and which worked out fine. But the bottom line is, if I could have been there, I would have said, by the way, uh, just realize that Sabbath day is not Sunday. Sabbath day is Saturday. <clears throat> so, anyway, so they came out on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and they came to the tomb bringing spices, which they prepared. These are the ladies, the women who had come with him out of Galilee, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They came out to the tomb. In fact, remember, on the way, they were actually asking themselves, "Who's gonna? when we get there, how can we anoint the body? Because how are we going to roll that big stone away? And when they got there, it was rolled away. They were perplexed about this, and... While they were perplexed, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. What do you think? Who do you think those are? They're angels. Yeah. Listen, we did the angels. We did the angels and demons study, and I mean, angels are everywhere. They're all over the Bible. They're e- every time you talk about Jesus, angels are there. Angels were with him when he was born. When he, you can just name, can't name any time that angels weren't with Jesus. And it's just the way it is. And so there were these two men sitting there in dazzling appearing, and these women were afraid. And the men said, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? What a great question. Why? Why are you doing that? Why seek the living among the dead? And then they say, he is not here. He is risen. Don't you remember how he told you in Galilee that he would be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and raised again on the third day he is risen. He goes on to say, and they remembered it. Now, this, this is the, great, the greatest truth of all. I mean, our Savior, Jesus Christ, didn't just die on the cross to pay for sin. He rose to conquer death. Listen, we ought, ought to be jumping up and down. Let me tell you, I do. I, I, it's just wild. I, I've done three funerals in the last two weeks. And, you know what? People die. And, and then they put them in the ground. And guess what? That isn't the end. That isn't the end for anybody. And when people say, oh, you know, we're going to really miss them. Well, uh, you know, they're either in a really bad place or they're in a really good place. That's just the way it is. You're either absent from the body, present with the Lord, or you're in the heart of the earth until the resurrection of the unbelievers. So death's not the end. And and so it, you know the soul that sins shall die. People are going to die, but death is not the end because he conquered death. And so we see this. And it says here in verse eight, they remembered his words. They remember what Jesus said. Now, so the women saw him, and and let me ask you this question: So who saw Jesus? Only these women? No. no. In fact, look at this right here. First Corinthians fifteen. Whoops, it, it's been doing this lately. It'll come. It should come back. I hope there. That didn't work right, did it? I guess that's a little bit big. Uh, I guess that's right. Okay, he appeared to who? Who's that? This is Paul writing, by the way. And he says, he appeared to Peter, then to who? The twelve, as the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than five brothers and sisters. this is one of the new translations they had to put sisters in so nobody gets offended they had to spe- appear before the 500 brothers at one time 500 at one time and then most of them remain now some of them fall asleep then he appeared to James who is James? that's the half brother of Jesus and to all the apostles do you know there are more apostles than the 12 and and last of all Paul says as to me one timely one. So who did Jesus appear to? He appeared to the women. He appeared to Peter, the 12 disciples, 500 people at one time, James and Paul. So when people say, did he really rise from the dead? Yes, he did. All over. There was just everything. Now, let me raise some questions. What did he look like? Let's talk about it. What did he look like when he rose from the grave and they saw him? Okay, well, I think it's a good one. <laughs> like he looked just like himself. And he did. Did he have a body? Did he have a body? And and was he a spirit? No, No, he had a body. I want you to understand something. Resurrection is always what? Always bodily. There's no such thing as spiritual resurrection. It's bodily resurrection. Resurrection always is with the body. Spirit maybe is a different thing, but resurrection is always with the body. So look at this. Look at verse 36. Jesus is with the guys and he's there. And in verse 36 it says, And while they were telling these things, he stood in their midst and said, peace be to you. He had to say that. You know why? Why did he have to say that? Huh? They scared him to death. Yeah, they went, oh my goodness. And they were startled (laughs) and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. Look what they thought. A spirit. Were they expecting bodily resurrection? They were not. Were they expecting that he was going to rise from the grave? They knew he would. They heard it. They heard it over and over. he never put it together. And look what it says there. And he said to them, why are you so troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself touch me, and see, for a spirit does not have a body, does not have flesh and bone, see that I have. So look what he said. See my hands, see my feet, touch me. Does Jesus have a body? Yes. I got a question today from a guy. He's, uh, he's in, uh, I think he's in Nigeria, and he writes me and asks me Bible questions all the time. And, and the, the bottom line is, what about Jesus and a body? Well, before Jesus became a human being, what what was he? Spirit. He was a spirit being, because the Father's a spirit and the Holy Spirit's a spirit. Jesus was a spirit until Galatians four four or or you know John 1.14, the word became flesh and he became a human being. But he's the God man, so he's God and man at the same time. Now, when he died and rose again, does he still have a body, a human body? Yes or no? Yeah. It's a human body, just like us. Now, it's a glorified body, which means what? That it has hair and and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is a glorified body means it never decays. It lasts forever. And so he's standing there and he says, it's me. It's me. He even says, touch me and everything. He even says, give me something to eat. And he took and ate because what he's showing them is this is a real body. When you get resurrected, will you have a real body? Uh, you might, I mean, I don't know what we're going to look like. It doesn't tell us, but we're going to be able to recognize each other. We're going to be able to say, there's Charlene right there. She doesn't look any better than she did, but you know, the... no. <laughs> no, you look beautiful. But at the bottom line is we're going to all look and, and we'll be able to say, that's that's JB, that's Tom, that's them." That's that's wow. And so the resurrection is the key. And so you look at this and it says, yeah, "Have you got anything to eat?" They gave him a piece of raw fish. He took it and ate it in front of them, and and he just—I mean—he was there. And I, we cannot get past the fact that that he's real. You know, when Paul on the road to Damascus, he's he's going to persecute those who follow Jesus, and Jesus appeared to him right there, and blinded him. It blinded him and blinded him for three days on purpose, so that he'd realize the power of God and that that God was really in control and that Jesus really is the Savior. So, man, there's just great things there. So the very first aspect is resurrection. And we can never get over the fact of resurrection. Why? That's a hard question, isn't it? Because you don't know what answer we want. Why can't you get over it? Because without the resurrection, you have what? Nothing. Nothing. You have nothing. He's the Savior. Okay, let's look at the second part, <clears throat> and that's the teaching and commission. Well, Jesus spent some time on the earth after His resurrection. How long? 40 days. forty days. Look at this. He presented Himself alive after His suffering. The suffering is the death and resurrection. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days. I'm not going to. We're going to finish the letter part in just a second. So He walked on the earth for forty days. Have you ever thought about this? Okay, here's Jesus dying. He dies on Passover, right, fourteenth day of the first month. He rose three days later, and it was called first what, fruits? Okay, now they would take from first fruits, and from that time they would count fifty days, and it would became Pentecost. That's what Pentecost actually means: fifty days. That was a feast. So when Jesus rose from the grave, he walked on the earth for what, forty days? He ascended into heaven. And how long passed after sending to heaven until the Holy Spirit came? Huh? How long? Ten days. So you, you can actually have an understanding of the timeline. Because he tells us he walked on the earth for 40 days and ascended to heaven that the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, which would have been 50 days after his resurrection. So, he, and, and so really powerful stuff. He was teaching them, and if you notice, he was teaching them what. I'm, I'm going to go back to this, and he was teaching them things about what the church. He was teaching them about the church. Is that right? Well, isn't this amazing? Look, let me let me draw something up for you. You've seen this a million times. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, sent it into heaven. What are we in now? church, and there's going to be the rapture, and there's going to be the tribulation, and then there's going to be the second coming, and the thousand-year reign, which is called the what? Kingdom. kingdom. And so here's Jesus in this 40-day time period, and he's teaching them about what? Kingdom. The kingdom. He's not teaching them about the church. He's teaching about the kingdom. Why? He's the king. One of these days, he's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So look, he he... It spoke it regarding the kingdom of God, teaching concerning the kingdom of God. That you know, um, that they well. Here, let me put the chart up. I've got the chart for us. Oh my gracious! Let's see if it come back. Okay. And and so, look at this chart. This is the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here we are now. There's going to be the rapture. There's the second coming. So, while he's on the earth, after his death and resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, he's not teaching about the church. Now, he had told them at one point in Matthew that upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. That was future, by the way. He didn't say, I'm building my church. Church is future from this. And so he's talking about the kingdom. And you remember, that's what they asked him. They were, they were talking. And in Acts, it, they asked him, is, is, this, is this the time that you're going to present the kingdom? They were not thinking about this right here. You know why? It's a mystery. The whole idea of Jews and Gentiles being put in one body which we call the what, the church, that was foreign to them. Salvation was for all people, Jew and Gentile. But for them to be in one body, which is the church, was a mystery. That's one when Paul writes, he writes and says, I'm writing about the mystery, which had not been revealed in the past, but is now being made known. And that is that Jew and Gentile are in one body, which is the body of Christ. And so when they're with him, they're not saying, tell us about the church that we're fixing to do. Because they are the leaders of the church. He says, they are asking him, tell us about the kingdom. You know, when people talk about dying, where do they say, if you die, where do you want to go? To, to heaven. heaven. People, Jewish people didn't say, you want to go to heaven. Where do they say? You want to enter the what? The kingdom of God. That's the key. So, notice here that uh, this, this, is, this is, he's talking about the kingdom of God, and he's teaching them all this. Now, without, with that, before he actually left, he, he gave them this thing right there. He gave them what we call the Great Commission. And we all know this. And I want to remind you of the great truth that God has given to us a commission. And it is very simply, and it's, it's the purpose of our church, if you, if you talk to anybody in our leadership or anybody who's been in our church for any length of time, anybody that's gone through membership training, if you said, what is the purpose of our church... What is it? To make disciples. That's the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came out and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, sons, Holy Spirit, teach them, observe all which I have commanded you, and lo and with you always, even to the end of the age. There are three aspects there. There is the authority. And by the way, on your handout, it says conflict, doesn't it? It should say comfort. Okay, just mark that. I've tried to mark it myself. So the Great Commission, Matthew 28 through 20, is, first of all, all authority belongs to Jesus Christ. Isn't that the greatest thing you've ever heard? The authority is not Satan. The authority is not bad people. The authority is our Savior, Jesus Christ. All authority belongs to Jesus. The commission is to do what? Make disciples. That's evangelism and training. Isn't it funny how throughout the history of the church, they have missed the whole point. Most Christians will tell you what is the purpose of the church, and they'll say evangelism. If you say, what about training fellow believers? They don't think about that. In fact, if I said to you in this room, how many of you believe it's your responsibility to share your faith? How many will raise your hand? Okay. How many of you believe it's your responsibility to teach people the Bible? Every hand ought to go up. It's the same thing. See, to make disciples is evangelism and training. So just like you're supposed to know the gospel so you can share your faith, you're supposed to know the Bible so you can train other believers. That's the purpose of the church. That's the great commission. So the authority is Christ. The commission is to make disciples. And the comfort, Jesus said, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that's, that is a great, great thing. Now, if, you're, if you flip over a little bit to Acts, just flip over to Acts chapter 1 for just a second. I just want you to see that Jesus uh, basically goes over the, the question again with them. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And I wanted, we mentioned it a while ago, but I want you to see it. I'm going to give everybody time to get over there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1. Did you know that uh, there are four great, uh, five great commissions? It's found in five places. Matthew, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24. John 20, Acts chapter 1. They're all commissions. They all go back to the same thing. Go out with the message of Jesus Christ. Look again at Acts chapter 1, verse verse 3 again. And to, he, to these to these men, he presented himself alive after suffering many convincing proofs. We just saw that a while ago. Over the period of how long? Forty days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And he told them, he gathered them together and said, don't leave, don't go scattering out until you get the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? And that was they'd be baptized by what? The Holy Spirit. Now, let me quickly say something. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you talk to people today, most people think the baptism of the Holy Spirit has something to do with the charismatic movement and speaking in tongues. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit takes a person who believes and places them in Christ. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse thirteen. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, You stay in Jerusalem until the promise comes. Now look at verse six. This is their question. We saw it a well while ago. So when they had come together they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this at the time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Why would they ask such a question? I want to remind you of something. You remember in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and Daniel got the prophecy of the 490 years for the nation of Israel? Do you all remember that? We've taught that a number of times, but do you know that? That God gave Israel 490 years. He told them that it would start at a certain time. It was 444 B.C. In Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, that's the decree to restore and build Jerusalem. It said there would be... Until that time, until the Messiah died, would be 483 years. Now, what Daniel knew is after the Messiah would die, there would be a peace treaty for seven years, which ultimately became the, the, the Antichrist would break the treaty, and there would be the tribulation. Then, the second coming of the Messiah and the thousand-year reign. This is the final seven years. He promised him 490 they used up 483. They have seven left. That's the tribulation. So in Daniel's timeline, what does he see? 483 years, death of the Messiah, the final seven years. What do these men see? What do they see? They see that Jesus died. They know that that's the 483-year mark. They know they got what? Seven years left. So what are they asking? Is it time now for you to do what? Restore the kingdom? Is coming what's, what's coming next? Are they thinking church necessarily? Maybe not in the way we do. They may have thought that God's got a plan for us, but what exactly is it? And so they ask the question, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? And he says to them, it's not for you to, time, it's not for you to know the time of the epochs which God has fixed. But he gives them uh, basically uh, the, the challenge there. What, and he says this, you're going to get power. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. <clears throat> Aren't you glad he said the remotest part of the earth? Because from where they were, that's where we are. Yeah. Right? And I'm glad it got to us. See, if you thought about this? You got power. When you get the power, you get power when? Holy Spirit's gonna come. When the Holy Spirit comes, you get power. When you get the power, that's when you'll be my witnesses. So, Spirit comes, get power to be witnesses. You start in Jerusalem where you are, you spread out even to people you don't like, and you go to the remotest part of the earth. For us, we'd say, we got the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Where are we supposed to start? Right here. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So that's the, the commission. Jesus taught about the kingdom. He taught about the commission. He taught about sharing their faith. All of that comes together. So it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So that's the commission. Let's now go to the third thing. And that is the ascension and his present ministry. A lot of times we forget about Jesus leaving. How did he leave? I think a chariot came down and got him, right? Oh, That was who? Really? Okay, so that was right. Okay, so how did Jesus leave? It just went off the face of the earth. Let's look at the ascension. Look at Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 9. He's just taught them what? You're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes. So The Holy Spirit's coming. You're getting power. When that power comes, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to start here and you're going to spread out. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of sight. He ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. And he was lifted up. Think about this. So Jesus bodily left, just floated off the face of the earth, disappeared, went up into the clouds and disappeared. You ever had one of those balloons, you know, that, that that you know helium thing, and you let them go and they go, and then you can watch them for a long time. And then pretty soon you say, I, I can't see it anymore, right? That's because it popped over that tree over there. But anyway, you, who knows? But anyway, the bottom line is... Jesus went straight up. Now, where are they? I want to show you something. This is, this is Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. This is Jerusalem. It's on this mountain. It's not a giant mountain. And then you come down to the valley. It's called the Kidron Valley. You go up the side to the Mount of Olives. This is the garden, on the side of this mountain is the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was. Well, they went to the Mount of Olives, to the top of the Mount of Olives. So they've left Jerusalem, they've come to the top of the Mount of Olives. He's been teaching them, and then from the Mount of Olives, he goes straight up and disappears. Can you imagine that? What, I want you to notice the next verse. While they were gazing intently into the sky, do you think they would be? What would you be doing? Anyway. Can, you see, can y'all see him? I can't see him anymore. Yeah. Right? While they were gazing intently in the sky, behold, two men in white clothing. So who could this be? Who is it? Angels. They're everywhere. They're in this room right now. There are good angels and bad angels in this room right now. That's why there's a spiritual battle. And look what he says. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up in the sky? <laughs> What's the matter with y'all? Don't you have better things to do than look up in the sky? This Jesus who is taken from you into heaven shall come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Now let me ask you a question. He's coming back, isn't he? Coming back to the earth. See, because he's coming back in the clouds. That's different. These angels aren't talking about the rapture. They're talking about him coming back to this earth. Where does he come back to the earth when he comes the second time? Mount of Olives, right there. He's coming right where he left from. Isn't that amazing? He's coming right back there. And so now, where is Jesus now that he ascended into heaven? Right Writer of Hebrews says Now, the main point of what's been said is this We have such a great high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord set up in that man. So where is Jesus right now? Right hand throne. By the way, the book of Hebrews says it at least three times that he's at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So here's our question. And We got at the bottom of the page, where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the throne of the Father. But the second thing is what we're going to see on the top of the next page, and that is, what is Jesus doing now? Have you thought about that? What is Jesus doing now? Because he's our savior, right? And and these guys, when he left, they came back to Jerusalem. They went up to the upper room. They waited for how long? Ten, Ten, days. Ten days. And then the Holy Spirit came. He said, don't leave Jerusalem till you get the promise of the Father. So we want to we see how all that happens, and we're going to talk more about that maybe in just a little bit. But let's see about what Jesus is doing right now. There's two things. The first one is very simple. He's preparing a place. What did he say in John? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my my father's house there what? Many rooms. If it wasn't that way, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and I get it ready, I will come back and get you. Let me ask you a question. Where do you think this place is? Where do you think this place that he's preparing is? Huh? Well, It's got to be in heaven right now, isn't it? Because that's where he is, making it. And one of these days, it'll probably come down to a new heavens and a new earth, which is probably called, and this place is going to be called the what? The New Jerusalem. That's what he's doing. We'll, we'll, next week, we'll actually see the place He's going to prepare for you and for me. And I know people have all these jokes that they've always said, and they've said, in my Father's house there are many mansions. That's not what it says at all. It actually says, in my Father's house are many little rooms, dwelling places. And so it's not going to be that somebody's going to have a gigantic $450,000 Four hundred fifty thousand dollar house, and somebody's going to live over here in a little shack. That's not what. Listen, it, the rewards are going to be are going to be your service and your place of responsibility in the kingdom. It's not what house you're going to live in. It's what you're going to be doing for Jesus in the kingdom, and the eternal state. So it's powerful. So what? He, so first he's preparing a place. But here's the second thing. What is he doing? He is what. He's make. He's got a second ministry. Is two things: making intercession and being our advocate. So write those down, and we'll talk with them real quickly. And we'll and we'll talk about the church and how it started and all that in just a minute. So there's a lot of great stuff here. I wonder how he has time to make room for us with it. With what? <laughs> I know. Good numbers. He's saying, I was really working on this place, but y'all are bothering me so much. I'm having to spend all my time just answering questions and making intercession and dealing with your sins. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about the first one. The first one is making intercession. Hebrews 7.25 says, He lives forever to make it. We, can, we, he is, he is, we have a great high priest who, who lives forever to make intercession for us. Wow. Did you know in the Old Testament, you had priests, right? And what stopped them from being priests? Huh? They died. Exactly. Exactly. And so you might say, this is my favorite priest. Well, he was my favorite priest. He died. But Jesus is a priest who does what? He lives forever to make intercession. You don't ever have to worry. He's always there. He lives forever. He hears our prayers. And so intercession here, when we're talking, let me erase this part right here. The intercession part we're talking about is prayer request. There are a lot of words for prayer. There's a word for prayer which actually means worship. Prasukeme is a Greek word for prayer, and it means to put your face down. Your face goes down. It's acts of worship. You can pray to God and worship Him. Then you can pray to God, and you can do a petition. You can ask for something for yourself. You can do an intercession, which you ask for something for somebody else. You can uh, you can do a thanksgiving. You can just say to God, thank you. So when you pray, you can pray a lot of different things. And they're not always asking for something for you. A lot of times people think, well, prayer is me going to God and asking for something. Well, I could go to God and say, you're the greatest thing there's ever been. I can go to God and say... I like a brand new car. Okay, you can go to God and say, Charlene, we like a brand new car. And you, or you could say, thank you for the brand new car. You know, what I'm saying is you've got all these things that you can say to Him anytime, place. You could spend one whole time doing nothing but worship and you could put all four or five together. There's another one and that's what we're going to see in just a second. But intercession. So, how often should you pray? Well, he says pray without ceasing. Uh, what should you pray about? Anything. Anything. Um, when you ask for something, uh, is 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 asking once enough? Because He knows everything, and if you just say, "Lord, please do that," and I'm not going to bother you anymore, is that is that what He is that what He says to do? Didn't he say just keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking? Didn't he talk about that little woman that went to that ju- unjust judge and she kept asking, asking, asking. He finally said, you're wearing me out. I'm going to give you what you want. Not that I don't fear God or men, but you're wearing me out. I'll give you what you want. God said, if an unjust judge will listen to you when you come over and over again, what will the perfect God do? So what should you do about prayer? Talk to him anytime, place, anywhere about anything, right? Okay, the second thing. And that, that's why, he's, by the way, he says, "Come boldly to the throne of grace." Let me ask you this question, though, because I want to—I want to raise this. When we say "come boldly to the throne of grace," what does that mean? What does it mean to you? Think, talk for a minute. What does it mean to come boldly to the throne of grace? Expecting <clears throat> huh? Expecting what you get to ask for. Okay, expecting to get what you ask for. Or, or expecting to be answered. Answer. Okay, and it could be yes, no, or maybe. But yeah, right there. Uh, do you have? Let me ask you this. Do you have the right to come boldly to the throne of grace? Why? Why? Because Jesus is there. Exactly. You, we don't have a right to say, excuse me, God, I'd like to talk to you. The only way we have, can come boldly to the throne of grace is because Jesus Christ has already gone before us as our intercessor. And he is there to make intercession for us. So we have that great. That. Now, the second thing is: is he's going to be our advocate. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Let me read this to you. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read it to you because I want you to think about what it says. It's pretty powerful. 1 John, he says this too. my little children. Now, that's how John writes. John's old. When he writes this, he may be in his 90s, and he calls all believers children. They're his children because he's led so many of them to Christ. And, and by the way, what you know about John and James, James and John with the brothers. Do anybody know their nickname when they were with Jesus? Sons of Thunder. That means they had tempers. Okay? That means they had tempers. But toward the end, do you know what John was called? He was called the Apostle of Love. Toward the end of his life. Because he loved people. And so he called them, my little children. And he says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What's he saying? I'm writing this to you. Look, uh, don't do wrong. Don't sin. He says, now, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father. What's so beautiful is this. We've got, uh, there's a, another section of prayer request, and it's called confession. We'll get to it in just a minute. But see, you can come to God through Christ With your sin. Because this is what an advocate is. He's a defense attorney. That's what the word advocate means. He's going to defend you. How can he defend us? How can he defend the Father from my sin? Exactly. Not only is he a great attorney. Boy, if you ever get in trouble, that's who you need. But not only is he a great attorney, but he's already dealt with this. So when he stands before the Father and Satan accuses us or we just sin and we say, I confess my sin. Christ says, I've taken care of it. He is our defense attorney. Listen to what he says again. He is our propitiation. What is propitiation? Satisfactory payment. He's our propitiation. Satisfactory payment for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. So when you sin, what do you do? We confess and listen. He, here's the deal: we we got to. Do, I think I have a slide. Yeah, we confess at First John one nine. Let me let me let me teach you something that I think everybody knows, but I just want to make sure you grasp this. When we sin, you hear people say things like, uh, "Ask for forgiveness when you sin." Oh, I'm coming to God and I'm telling you how sorry I am and I'm asking for forgiveness. There's nothing wrong with asking for forgiveness. However, when the Bible says what we do with sin, He doesn't say. If you ask for forgiveness. He says, if you what? Confess your sin. And confess is from the... uh, Homo legeo in the Greek. This is a Greek word. Homo means same. Legeo means to speak. So the Greek word confess means to say the same. The same as what? As God would say. So when you lie... To confess your sins is you go to God and you say, God, I lied. I, I, it, it's okay to say I'm, I'm, um, I did wrong and I'm, I'm sorry I did wrong and I know it's wrong. It is. But confession is saying, Lord, I see this the way you see it. It's wrong. I'm in rebellion against you and it's wrong. And so when people say you have to feel sorry for your sins, he didn't say that. He doesn't say you have to ask for forgiveness. He actually says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive you and to cleanse you from all sin. Exactly. So the bottom line is when you, when you got a defense attorney, and so whenever you sin, what should you do? Just confess. Tell on yourself. Just tell on yourself. When you got kids and, and they come up and tell you what they did wrong, how do you feel about that? I mean, it's better than lying, right? You don't want lying, right? You're going, did you lie? Uh, yeah, okay. But anyway, the bottom line is, when we go to God and say, I blew it. I blew it again. What does he say? He's faithful and just to what? Forgive and to cleanse. Wow, so powerful. If we, if we pray for forgiveness, wouldn't that mean that you don't understand? Yeah, if you're praying for forgiveness... You're basically saying, oh, please forgive me. He said, well, when you confess it, I will forgive you. Yeah, the dynamic is, yeah, there's a, there's a payment for sin that's already happened. There's a forgiveness for sin that happens the moment you believe. That's in your relationship. And there's a forgiveness for sin that you need in your fellowship. Okay? And so when you sin in your fellowship, you need forgiveness to be back in the fellowship. That's when you confess your sins. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about dealing with sin. But confession is the key. Right now, quickly, just looking at the time, we got to go. So let's think about the church in the mission. And we, this, is, this is so different because he actually gave them this commission. So I'm going to go real quickly for three big questions. What is the church? When did the church begin? And what is the purpose of the church? And so I think, let me see if... Yeah, so at the top of the next page, the big three questions are at the bottom. The top of page five is, what is the church? Okay, and we all know this. What is the church? The believers are placed in union with Christ. It's his body, which is called the church, the called out ones. So the church is actually the what? What is it? The body, the body of Christ. That's exactly what it is. That sounds weird, but let's just pretend that this is the body. This is the head. This is Jesus. He's the head. That's what we've been dealing with, you know. And so here are the believers. We're the body. Okay, so we're the called-out ones placed in the body of Christ. Ephesians two, one twenty-two. He put all things in exception under, uh, uh, subjection under His feet, made Him head over all things to the church, which is His what? His body. The church is the body of Christ. So that's that's the bottom line. That's the first thing. So when did the church begin? On the day of Pentecost. Do you remember I told you that? That uh, let's draw this up again real quickly. So, Jesus died and rose again, walked on the earth. Let's say, that's the 40 days. He's with the guys. And then he ascends into heaven. And then here's Pentecost, day 50. Okay? He told them, remember on the 40th day, he said, don't leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. What had he promised them? That the Holy Spirit would come. He didn't tell them when. He didn't tell them when. So, let let me show you this. So, it says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with what? Water. But you will be baptized with what? Holy Spirit. So he said, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, because that's going to be the beginning of this new ministry, this new thing. So what happened? Look at this. When the day of Pentecost had come, okay, now how many days? From the time after Jesus left, that's what? Ten days. So Jesus is gone. They waited ten days. They had no idea when the Holy Spirit was going to come. They had no He didn't tell them. He didn't say, oh, by the way, it'll be the Feast of Pentecost. He didn't say that. He didn't tell them anything. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Why? Well, first of all, it's the Feast of Pentecost. A lot of the Jews came together. They're all there praying. And suddenly, a noise like, was it a violent Russian wind? No, it wasn't. It was like a violent rushing wind. The noise was. When it came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. How many were there? Do you remember? About 120. Okay. And, and tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributed themselves, and tongues rested on each of them. It's like I've read different places that it talked about. It, it looked like some kind of fire came down on people's heads. And they were all What? Filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what they were told. Him, he said, "Wait for it." And what happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They began to speak different languages. By the way, when we say tongues, there's no everything's a language. If it's not a language, it's not it's not a tongue. And so they began to speak with different tongues, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak to utterance. Now, did they... <clears throat> Just go and wait till you get the gift from the Father. They knew the Holy Spirit was coming. I don't think they knew what was going to happen with the Holy Spirit. I don't think they knew that suddenly they were going to be able to speak languages they didn't know. Because if you remember, and we're not going to go into it, but they started speaking these languages and they went outside and speaking these languages and they were proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. They were proclaiming the gospel. People began to gather and it even lists in the book of Acts, it talks about, it lists like. 18 or 20 places from all over the known world that these Jews had come for the Feast of Pentecost and they could hear them. And so people from some, from some country were going, I hear that in my own language. And in fact, in the Greek, it actually says my own dialect. If I'd have been there, I would have heard it in Southern, right? Right, because it's a dialect. It wasn't just a language, it was even a dialect. And that's what was so amazing that these people who didn't know all these languages were proclaiming the message of Christ in these languages. And so it was an amazing thing. And so that was the day of Pentecost. And it says the believers were placed in Christ, forming the church, bringing, putting together the church. And that's the by one spirit, they were all baptized into one body. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. And so it, it, let me just say one thing. Peter stood up that day, and he gave a message. And his message was you crucified the Messiah. He died and rose again. And if you go through the book of Acts and the book of Acts is the very early church and the book of Acts is people proclaiming the gospel. Every message in the book of Acts has the death and resurrection of Christ in it. Every message. Read it yourself. Study it. See when Peter talks. See when Paul talks. Every message has the death and resurrection of Christ. So they spoke the good news. With that in mind, what is the purpose of the church? I'm going to go really quickly for this because we don't have a whole lot of time but the bottom line is what? What is it? Make to make disciples. disciples and that's evangelism and training. So just fill that one in if you want to. We've got I think one more section <clears throat> and that is the return. Uh, let, me, let me get you everybody got that down? Make disciples, evangelism and training. You should know that right? In that our purpose? <laughs> we should know that. Okay here we go. Now the return of Christ. Is he coming? coming. When? Tonight. He could. He could. Perhaps today. He could come any second, right? Okay, so this is what's so amazing. So let's start with this, uh, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And, and, and Jesus, John had made this, Jesus had made this promise. He's going to prepare a place for us. And then when he's ready, he's going to come back and get us. Is that right? So let's think about the comings of Christ. There are three comings of Jesus Christ. The first coming to the earth, he came to die. The second coming, he came to the earth to rule as king. That's in the future. And then there's a coming in the clouds. that's not coming to the earth, and that's to get the church. So do you see those three things? He came to the earth first time to die. He's coming to the earth to rule. That's the second coming. And then he's coming in the clouds. Okay, I'm going to put a chart up. Have you all got that? Okay, here's the chart just to remind you. This is the first coming. He came to die. This is the second coming to the earth. He comes to reign. See, both of these are to the earth. He left the glories of heaven, became a human being, lived for 30, basically 30, 33 years old, died, rose again, into the heaven. He's going to come back a second time to the earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But in between those two, he's going to come in the clouds, which we call the rapture. This is what we're talking about in this particular section, the rapture where Jesus is coming. So I'm going to give you just a few things. We only have about five or six minutes left, but I want you to see this because it's so beautiful. You remember we said a while ago that there is this, oh, let me just, th- I'll just use this. We said a while ago that there's this time period called the seven-year tribulation. Some people actually think the church will go through that. But what we understand is from the book of Daniel, you remember for 183 years the Messiah dies, then they still have seven years. The church is the mystery. The church will be taken out and then the tribulation will begin. So I just want you to understand if you've ever been afraid, or if you've ever not understood that the tribulation is not for the church. The tribulation is for the nation of Israel. Now, let me show you what this tribulation is like. Matthew twenty-four, twenty-one: There will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. This time period, which... It's called the, the the tribulation. It's divided into two parts. It's seven years long. It's divided into two three and a half year parts. It's called the, there's the tribulation and there's the great tribulation. It's seven years. Antichrist at the three and a half year mark puts his idol up in the temple. First part's called the tribulation. The second part's called the great tribulation. And this last part gets horrible. God brings judgment on the world. God is judging the world. This is for the Jewish people. It's their final seven years. They used up 483. God promised them 490. They have seven left. That's what the tribulation is. You may say, well, here's us. How do we know? How do we know we're going to be gone? How do we know? Well, I want you to see something. And that is in Revelation 3.10. Jesus is giving information. John has written it down. It's to the church. And he says, because you've kept my word of perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing. The hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. What is the hour of testing? It's the tribulation. Look at this verse right here. First Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us, who's us? Church. For what? For wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't mean eternal life salvation here. He's not talking about that he saves us. He's talking about he delivers us from What? The wrath to come. He's talking about a physical deliverance. What's the physical deliverance? What is the physical deliverance? The rapture. Exactly. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fast. In the moment in a what? Twinkle of an eye. I just twinkled. I just twinkled my eye. We're gone. We're gone. It's gonna be that fast. Now, what's it gonna be like? First Thessalonians four. Jesus Christ will deliver the church from the wrath to come. That's the chart. That's just going to be it right there. And, and look at 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, but those who are asleep, for some have died, that don't grieve as those who have no hope. Okay, and then he goes on to say this. For the Lord will come out of heaven. There'll be a shout. There'll be the voice of the archangel. There'll be the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds. Write down 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18, and read that. And this, we meet the Lord where? Where does it say? In the air, in the clouds. This is not the second coming. Remember, first coming to the earth to die. Second coming to the earth to reign. In the clouds to get the church. That's us. One of these days, Jesus is going to come. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to take us out. The dead in Christ will rise first. That means the believers who have died and their bodies are in the ground, their souls and spirits with the Lord, they're coming with Him. Their bodies are going to be raised. We're going to be changed. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You've got to believe that. That's what's going to happen. That's what it says. I mean, one of these days, and it could be right now, suddenly we're gone. We're changed. And we're going, wow. Uh, and there's Jesus. Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be... <laughs> By the way, the live and the rain we caught up together with, the Greek word for, to, to get them is harpazo, harpazo, which means to snatch away. Snatch away. It's going to happen. Have there been any snatching aways? Oh, I think so. What about Elijah. He got snatched away right off the face of the earth, didn't he? What about when Philip went down to the Gaza Road and talked to the Ethiopian eunuch and when he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, it says the spirit snatched him away and the next thing he knew he was in this other town. And he went, what do you know about that? Has there ever been snatching away? Yes. Are you going to be snatched away? Just like that. First Thessalonians says a moment to I mean uh, First Corinthians says, in the moment the twinkle of an eye, you're going to be changed this old corruption or put on incorruptible. so amazing. And so look at look at this right here. Where's our citizenship? It's in heaven. We eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, what's he going to do? He's going to transform the body of our lowly condition, these bodies, into conformity with His glorious body, His resurrected body, by the exertion of the power that He has to even to subject all things to Himself. His power will change your body. His power will change us in the moment in a twinkle of an eye. And we eagerly wait. Do we eagerly wait? Well, I mean, some people say, I don't care whether He comes or not. Well, I don't think He's going to come. Well, you're going to be really surprised. Better have on clean underwear because you never know what's going to happen. Right? (laughs) It could happen any second. That's what you know. So here's some key truths. I got them all up there for you, okay? <clears throat> and you can write them all down if you want to. Uh, the first one is Jesus died and rose again, paying for sin and conquering death. We know that, right? So you, can just, you don't have to write down every word, but I'm going to leave them up there for a minute. But So this is one of the key things. Jesus died and rose again, paying for sin and conquering death. Jesus was seen by many people over a 40-day time period. What's the most people saw him at one time? Best we can tell. 500 people. You know, I've had people say that it was sort of a... Uh, it was like people kind of had a... They like had a vision or something. Uh, and they, they were confused. I said, well, you can't confuse 500 people at the same time. Have you thought about that? Number three, Jesus gave the, gave the Great Commission to his disciples. What was the Great Commission? What? Make disciples. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Is he? Whoa. What? what how? You can come you can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can also do what? You can confess any sin. So I, you know, we really hopefully we're spending more time making requests in intercession session than doing sin, but that's the way it is. Okay, the church began on what? Pentecost and the church is to do what? Make disciples. That's the, that's the purpose. Ask some people that you know that maybe go to a different church or something, ask them what their purpose of their church is. And they'll probably say something like, oh, to, to glorify Jesus. I, said, well, I mean, that's true, but what is your purpose? Why do you exist? To make disciples. Okay, Jesus will come in the clouds, wow, and the church will meet Jesus in the air. The rapture is for the church. It's not for the nation of Israel. The rapture and the second coming are two different events. A lot of people think they're the same. They're not. So we'll see those. All right, let me quickly give you some applications. Are you all ready for this? You all got it? Or do we need a little bit more? <clears throat> a little bit more? Okay. Is this some good stuff or what? Yeah, I love it. It's amazing. It's amazing. And this is all in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> think about this this is all in the Bible okay you all ready for the next thing are you still still writing oh we're going okay here we go application may we believe <laughs> may we believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life that's what we want isn't it but you don't have to write all that you just say you know that, that's what we want we want people to believe in Christ for eternal life Um, be careful Don't say, we want people to ask Jesus in their life. We want people to believe in the death and resurrection of Christ. It's okay to say, believe in the death, but that's not what saves you. Tell the people, you want people to believe in Christ for what? Eternal life. That's the offer. Okay, let us as the church fulfill the great commission of evangelism and training. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. You know what's so sad? It's very few Christians evangelize, and what's even sadder is even a smaller number of them ever make disciples, ever train. It's really a hard thing. I read an article today. What do you think the number one reason is people don't share their faith? That's exactly it. Fear. They're afraid. They're afraid of several things. They're afraid of not knowing what to say, they're afraid that they'll lose a friend or somebody will say, don't talk to me. And I mean, they're just afraid something's going to happen. The third one, let's come boldly to our intercessor and advocate, Jesus Christ. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. <clears throat> he makes intercession. He's our advocate. And then look at the last one. Let's be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, as we meet Him in the air. You know, it seems. Does that seem unreal, almost? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? All of a sudden, you're just, you're just, you're take, you're gone. You know what? You know what I'm gonna be. You know what I think. Probably we're gonna be doing. If we're gonna be looking for family. Where's everybody? You know, it's, and and what's it gonna be like? Where will we land? Let me just say that. Where are we going to be? The Bible doesn't tell us any of these kind of things. What, what, what will we be like? Uh, it's just amazing. How old are we going to look? Yeah. How old are we going to feel? <laughs> uh, I don't think we'll feel old at all. I think we're going to be great.